1921, Tulsa, Oklahoma, the Greenwood section of town nicknamed Black Wall Street. These were mom and pop type operations, sole proprietorships, beauty salons, restaurants, grocery stores, haberdasheries, pharmacies. But racial tensions turned deadly in this segregated city when an armed white mob backed by law enforcement descended on the thriving black business district with every intent of destroying it, killing anyone who got in their way. presented by the good people at the Podbelly Network. My fellow Americans, we are fortunate to be alive. They need them to protect us from the number one killer in history. Protect us from the central university. A study on the wide field. 290 million everybody welcome to episode 213 of the art jacob do america podcast i'm your host in the place to be mr jacob p and sitting right across from me is the brown recluse mr art trail art say hello to the millions what's up millions uh hope you guys are all doing well hope you guys are not been diesel um hope and to get that joke please subscribe to the patreon yeah subscribe to the patreon guys we all know that ben diesel uh lost his virginity to the Mortal Kombat soundtrack, but if you need something more intense than the Mortal Kombat soundtrack to get the blood going, guys, go to cavemancoffee.com. Check out their entire inventory. They got the coffee beans. They got the nitro cold brew. They got the hibiscus tea. They got the cacao butter. They got the sweatpants to make your dick look big. Um, Guys, they got it all there. Check it out. Type in America at checkout to receive 15% off Tag yourself, wearing the pants, drinking the coffee, drinking the the hibiscus tea. Tag us, tag them. We appreciate it. They appreciate it. Shows that you care. Shows that you listen. Uh, and that's it. That's all I got. Yes. So with that said, everybody, make sure you check out our other sponsor, guys. The great, the powerful, the flavorful El Yucateco Hot Sauce. Guys, the kings of flavor since 1968. That is 50 plus years of Flavortown. And what I mean, Flavortown art. I mean the best hot sauce you will buy on any shelf. I guarantee it. Am I right, Art? Yeah, you know what? I've been putting the um, the uh, Chipotle one on like my eggs in the morning. Mm. It's really good. That's a personal favorite of mine. That's become a like that one's overtake just because it's a good morning hot sauce. I did put the the, the Caribbean one. I put it on uh, some fish tacos I had last night. It was excellent. Yes, so in case you cannot find El Yucateco on your local shelves, because, hey, let's just face it, El Yucateco is just that damn good. Sometimes it just be sold out. Guys, go to shopelyucateco.com, enter promo code DOAMERICA, and Art and myself will give you 10% off your entire purchase. And just like Caveman Coffee, they got shirts, 
They got flip-flops. They got all sorts of things with the LUV Techo logo on that you can use this summer um, for your backyard boogie or, you know, graduation party or, hey, it's June. Some people getting married and shit. Um, uh, guys, just go there and our promo code Do America, and we'll give you 10% off. And make sure you go to all the social medias. Whenever you're enjoying fucking LUV Techo, just make sure you tag them, tag us. Again, that way it shows that you are showing some love to us, but also letting LU Techno know that you are consuming their wonderful, delicious, flavorful product. But guys, uh, we're not here to talk about hot sauces and coffees and uh, Will Smith like giving um, fatherly advice. Uh, again, that is a Patreon-only joke that you will get if you subscribe to the Patreon. Uh, but guys, we got we got we got a heavy ass topic this week. Um, a topic that you brought up um, about this time last year. Um, you know, rewind where we were at last year. You know, everything was burning. There was riots going on. You know, George Floyd was fresh. I believe Memorial uh, Weekend had just passed, and um, you know we, we you know our country was dealing with that. You know, Trump. You know, he tear gassed yeah. everybody. You know, his own people, and then walked across mm-hmm. the street to this church that he wasn't welcomed at and held the bible upside down you know because he is the president of law and order and whatnot right uh but uh, we had fred Watt on uh, from the band bad rabbits and we were you know talking about you know the whole black lives matter movement and you brought up the fact that you know that day that we were recording it was the 99th anniversary of the tulsa uh race riot slash race massacre um words do matter um and I had never really heard about it until I was watching like uh, the TV show on HBO, uh, The Watchmen. And that's when I kind of like went down a rabbit hole and I was like, oh shit, I'm going to set my calendar for, uh, you know, May 30th of 2021 uh, for the 100th anniversary of the Tulsa race riots slash massacre. Yeah, man. It's that show. And I do want to give some props to that show and the original comic book and not that movie that came out in theaters. Uh, because they all like if if you enjoy if you if you enjoy the show you'll enjoy the comic because they're very like they take these very real world events and and address things like like racism and like sexism and like transphobia like all, all these things and then it puts it in a comic book with like superheroes <laughs> that's yeah. just like and it's very very like. And that was done in the eighties to fast forward to the day and then like to have the the Tulsa race massacre in there to start the to set the tone for the show, a comic book movie, you know, a comic book T V show to start it off with this thing that most Americans aren't even aware happened. Correct. Um I think it, it I think it's you know, obviously, the whole show is not all historically accurate. I mean, there is no. there is no one. There's a giant squid. There's a, a giant. Well, yeah. I mean, it's supposed to be a mutation, but yeah. <laughs> but there's no one with like the ability, like godlike abilities, besides Trump, of course. But um, <laughs> no one that I know of is that what happens when you hold a Bible upside down? You have godlike abilities, yeah. Oh, is that the secret, guys? He's also on the list, just letting you know. So he might <laughs> die a, a, a mortar in, sept- <laughs> in September. Um, but um. But and I, I don't mean my list. Don't put FBI. Don't look at me, man. That's jokes, 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 jokes. This is all parody. This is parody law. Ha, ha, ha. Yeah, guys, go FBI. Go Google that pink eye cult. I don't know. Anyways, um, so um, yeah, I I I, th- I find it super fascinating. The whole thing was just like, this is a this is a really important chapter in American history, 
and it's never discussed and it's never taught in schools. It's never brought up. I mean, we'd see other things like America always likes to bring up like, especially like the racist part of America always loves to bring up Martin Luther King. as like, they're like, remember Martin Luther King? Like we kind of tolerate him kind of thing. Like let's, we, you're all right. You can build a monument to Martin Luther King kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, that to me is just like, yeah, that's a very like politically correct and like, you know, you can teach that lesson in schools and no one's going to get offended. Yeah, you can th- you can put that in front of second graders. Yeah. The reality is racism is something that should, like, boil your blood. Like, yeah. not Shannon Sharp doing his, like, top ten, like, whatever position thing. Like, these things should not matter. Like, we talked about on the Patreon, not to spoil the Patreon, but we talked a lot about fluff and, like, the bullshit that society throws at us. It's not really worth your time. It's not really, like, worth worth arguing about. Or anyone say arguing, but it's it's uh, having entertaining a di- in your thoughts. Yeah, um, having that inner dialogue in your mind. But but things like racism and like the the origins of like these races a- actions and like to to this day, like we're still surrounded by hundreds of microaggressions that like still hold minorities down. Like correct. So I mean, this is a good origin point. This is a good lesson in 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 like human history of like why it's important to still like talk about racism and why we should never revert back to this. Why? Yeah, it's important that we keep the like stories like this alive. Is because if you don't know your history, you're bound to repeat it. And you mentioned it too. It's just like you know this this story. Even for people that lived in Tulsa, Oklahoma, like that were well into their forties had no idea that this had happened a hundred years ago until like, you know, more things started to come up about it. And, you know, <laughs> as Americans, we, we started to repeat, you know, because you forget history, you start to repeat, you know, those sins, you know, like I said, I mentioned, I started this, started this off with like, you know, George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, like all these, you know, these acts that happened and keep happening, you know, in the African-American community, which also happens, you know, in, you know, the Latino community, which also happens in the Asian community that kind of all kind of get just swept under the rug because we usually were like, oh, the economy's doing good. Oh, did you see what Kim Kardashian was wearing? Or it, and it, it, it's like you said, there's a lot of fluff out there that pushes, you know, real history, you know, out the door. Yeah, I mean, I agree. We're bound to repeat it if we don't know about it. And I think most people in the United States don't know about this, don't know the extreme racist history that we have in this country. And we still have, like, I think it's going to take another hundred years for America just to even get to the point of, like, slightly okay. (laughs) I'll be long gone before this country. I mean, depending if, like, Armageddon happens, like that cult I was telling you, but um, (laughs) happens, but... I mean, I, I just, I don't see it in my lifetime. Like, I don't see racial equality being a thing, mm-hmm. unfortunately, not, not to be all, like, negative and shit. But we're just not there. We're so far from it. Like, we are really far from it. And, like, you, unless you live in, like, San Francisco or, you know, like, some, like, liberal, like, hub, like, Portland, Oregon, like, where it's probably a little closer to, like, where, you know, racial equality is happening kind of thing. Like, here... California, a lot of California, like it's pretty liberal here. Trust me, it ain't happening here. Like not for a while. Not in Bakersfield, California. <laughs> Little Oklahoma, I should yeah. say. Yeah, cuz when you look at it Bakersfield, basically the majority of the, you know, population here is like people that came over from the Dust Bowl, which yeah. explains a lot, <laughs> a lot of why our policies kind of mirror what were happening in uh, uh Tulsa in 1921. 
but I think it's important before like we actually get into, you know, the who, what, when, where of uh, the Tulsa race massacre or riot, depending on, you know, how, you know, we, we should label it. Um, it's important to note like where, you know, Tulsa was at, you know, at the time in 1921. Um, we had just, you know, gotten over World War One. So we had like a lot of, you know, World War One veterans, you know, coming back home you know, searching for jobs. Uh, one thing that I kept seeing as a reoccurring thing is that there was a lot of racial tension because of that. Uh, because, you know, you know, a lot of black servicemen went overseas and they had like this, you know, great pride in what they were doing. So like they felt that they were entitled to the exact same rights that, you know, white men had, you know, before the war. And it's just like, hey, I went over there. I sacrificed my blood. I should be able to have all the same exact opportunities that, you know, this white man had, you know, you know, you know, a few years ago, um, I should have that as well. So, you know, they came back with a sense of pride, which they absolutely should have had. Right. Yeah. And then also too, during this, this time in our country, there was a lot of, so the civil war was still like a fresh memory, you know, like it, you know, people had been, have lived through that. Right. And, you know, after the emancipation proclamation, you know, America likes to pretend like, oh, slavery just ended and like everything was just like, you know, racism over. Yeah. Everything was cool. Everything was done with. But no, there was a lot of racist policies, which still, you know, rode the backs of like African-Americans and kind of kept like a slave um, system in place. So that slave system I'm referring to is the whole sharecropping uh, industry where basically like legally you weren't a slave, but in essence you were a slave because it made it illegal for you not to have a job and you had to work for a certain employer. You couldn't just quit. So in essence, you, you were a slave. And, you know, what had happened is, is that, you know, Oklahoma in 1907, they become a new state. They had really rigorous um, fucking, you know, Jim Crow laws, you know, segregation laws. Um, also during this time, you know, we had like the trail of tears, you know, where, you know, thousands of native Americans, you know, were, you know, uprooted, you know, from places like Florida and the South and forced to relocate, um, to, you know, Northern Oklahoma, which is where Tulsa is pretty much is at. And a lot, b- the big thing that I learned from this is I didn't know about this, but I guess like a lot of native Americans, like they actually owned like African American slaves as well. So, there's a lot of like this like racial tension like going on, you know, during this time period. Um, I believe like in 1915, you have that movie uh, Birth of a Nation that had came out, which kind of like, you know, gave rise to like this like white, you know, white pride and, you know, the um, the the spearheading of like the Ku Klux Klan and whatnot. And like this is where, you know, you get this image of like, you know, the burning cross. So like empowered like, you know, white racism and whatnot. So. That's what we were living in. And oh, yeah, in 1919, there was this whole summer called the Red Summer where you had like all of these like white mobs that would attack like black neighborhoods, you know, and in cities like you were mentioning, like liberal cities, like northern cities like Chicago, Washington, D.C., Philadelphia, New York, where they would just like, you know, set their set their neighborhoods on fire, you know, rape and pillage, you know, their women and their houses and all sorts of shit. So you had like this very fucking hostile environment, which is very much what it was like living in the summer of 2020. You know, one of the, those are pretty extreme, like things that happen. Like, I think most people can hear those things and be like, yeah, I'm against that. But then some of the like less like, 
like extreme things that were still pretty racist that were happening on the Patreon. We you brought up um that Alec thing, right? And mm-hmm. how it's like these pre-written laws that like are given to politicians to put into vote. And um, one of the the big organizations that came out around the same time period was the NRA, and like laws that were presented to basically keep. I mean, there's no point to the NRA. Like gun, we have gun laws already, so it's like basically the NRA was created to keep black men from owning guns and like i mean that that was its origin point like i I, like there were other things that i guess you can say that like it did it's still around today but it's it's had this this goal of keeping black men from owning guns Mm -hmm. from having like empowered black men and like we still have the nra we still we back the nra like if it was like jesus christ or something like (laughs) they're trying to take jesus away from the nra it's like (laughs) it's so fucking stupid and it it was created i mean that's what its origin thing was created a lot of people linked the the nra to the ku klux klan because they were kind of like brother organizations and that was the reality like keep black people from owning guns yeah so they never rise up against this kind of thing and it's funny you mentioned that you know the kkk having its hand you know in the nra they also had their hand in creating Tulsa. Uh, Tulsa was founded by a member of the KKK. So, like, before we get into all of that, it's very much like this very racial, tense fucking environment. Uh, but within this environment, you know, with Jim Crow laws and whatnot, uh, you had uh, this community. It was called uh, Greenwood, uh, a.k.a. Black Wall Street, you know, where, you know, you know, has through history, you know, African-Americans they've done they turned chickens, they made chicken salad out of chicken shit where they created like, oh, okay, this is like the plot of land that they're going to allow us to live at. Uh, we're going to go ahead and, you know, be prosperous as hell. So like there's like, they basically built up this, this segregated community where they, you know, they had pretty much like two of everything, two newspapers, two uh, movie theaters. They had their own hospital. Uh, I believe at that time they had like one of the most world renowned surgeons so like yeah, they they, they had like this bustling economy and at one point you know during 1920 like you know Black Wall Street or the Greenwood district was um doing better than a lot of white communities in yeah. Tulsa. They had the first ever bank to be owned by a woman. Mm-hmm. It was a black woman, but uh, um which is like even more like wow to this day like we still have trouble finding black owners especially like black women in like those roles to have it in the 1920s to have um, a black woman own a bank is like pretty like progressive even by today's standards. Correct. Um, and yeah, that was all coming from Greenwood and like it, it was, damn, my fucking computer keeps updating <laughs> me on these like, um, things. But um, <laughs> but yeah, and then also too, um, I, I wanted to bring up to light is uh, there's a, a TV show that's on Netflix. It's called Trigger Warning by, you know, the rapper Killer Mike. Yeah, in the first episode, um, he he just tries to live black, um, black owned. Yeah, yeah. Anything like he's not allowed to eat anything that's not black owned, or you know, wear anything that's not black owned. His phone has to be black owned or whatever. And it, it's primarily like a comedy show, but like with you know a good heart, like where he's basically explaining like, hey, like you know, back in the twenties, like you know, there was communities like Greenwood. 
um, that would create like these these havens where like you know you had you know black bakers, black dentists, like all these things, and the dollar would stay within that community and it enriched everybody because you know hey everybody was supporting each other. Like there was there was no laws keeping you know uh, you know real estate out of this person's hand or you know prohibiting you know you from buying you know. Uh, the groceries that you need or the medical care you need, like everybody kind of came together and that dollar just, you know, kept circulating, you know, within the community. It didn't go to like Jeff Bezos. And then like he would hoard it like an offshore account or whatever. Like, no, like the economy was good because, you know, everybody supported each other. And, you know, he even, you know, he went to like an old barber shop and uh, they were talking about, yeah, like, you know, even like during this time period, they had a thing called a green book, where it was like kind of like you know how AAA like has like those like you know this is where you should go like you on your California California vacation hashtag watch the movie Green Book yeah and um, it was like all these places that you know um, black you know travelers they could go to you know stay like at a black you know hotel or a black restaurant or you know be accommodated you know in a se- very segregated South or mid South like Oklahoma and the reason why they had to do it wasn't because it was just like, Oh, we're only supporting black, you know, businesses, but it was, it was out of necessity. They couldn't necessarily go to a fucking fucking Hilton. Like, even if they had the money for it is because no, like, you know, white laws would prohibit them from being in there. You know, one of the things that really like made this community really prosperous is, um, a lot of the, a lot of the things that help put it together, like agriculture, things like that. Like these are things that black people were like, getting really good at unfortunately as slaves like they got really good at building buildings and building and like putting crops together and all these things that they learn how to do that and they mm-hmm. learn how to like run their own businesses one of the things another thing that like i just want to put a footnote in there because it's one of those things that kind of gets forgotten through history was um marijuana crops started popping up all over the place like you know it was a really popular thing in like northern mexico and like if if you can get these like black owners to like make hemp out of it you can make rope you can make anything like it's this you can make a better house out of that it's a weed that grows like super fast and like it's super like durable you can make clothes out of this stuff you can make whatever you want yeah you can get high off of it so of course we have to make it we america had to make it illegal for so many years i mean we're barely like i don't even know if it's legal now it's like kind of legal i guess i mean in la probably but in bakersfield in bakersfield we have a the dumbest law where you can't buy it you can you can have it but you can't buy it and you can't sell it but you can own it so like there's like like that's why they have like those deliveries like there's there's only mobile dispensaries that can deliver it because you can't actually have a bit like a business here in bakersfield that like that um where like you can sell it from that business, it has to be a mobile dispensary. Shout Stupid. out Jesus to showing me that, by the way. And they deliver, and they deliver some good stuff. So, oh yeah, support <laughs> it. Uh, but not only that though, like th- like there was this big oil boom as well. And obviously, you know, like I said, coming out of like World War One, there was like this, you know, great demand for like you know servicemen coming back needing jobs and whatnot, right? And so like, you know black men were more experienced at you know this these manual labor jobs so they would get those jobs because hey they had more experience than like 
homeboy that was like, oh, I was Arthur B. Allen's grandson, and uh, mm-hmm. I painted a fence a time or two in uh, uh, the early uh, old arts, and uh, I-, I feel like I-, I should be able to work the rig. And this is like, nah, son, like you, you ain't got the experience. I can't use you. Like we, we, we found this oil, and we got to turn it over and shit. So there was a lot of that. And kind of like the California gold rush, where it's just like the people that became billionaires or millionaires weren't the people that like went like and found gold. Yeah, there was like maybe like two or three of those. But the majority of the people that got rich were like the people like Levi Strauss who were selling supplies to the miners that were going out there, too. So like Greenwood, too, was like full of like these these people that were able to like sell make industries around the oil industry, too, as well. So like it was they, in a way. They, they created like this great economy because they were very smart about what businesses they did set up. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was, it was really a way for them to cut out the middleman, like as opposed to the past where like everything had to be a white owned thing. And like mm. they just had like black people come in and do all the hard stuff. Like why do we need the white owner? Why don't we become <laughs> the owner and exactly. like, run this shit? And like, I brought this up. You know when we, uh, the whole like ancient aliens thing or whatever, like anytime a minority group, like black people, black people in Africa, there's no way they built the pyramids themselves. Like you're telling me these fucking Aztecs built these like giant, like complex, like buildings that have like, there's no way the Incans could have made that structure. Yeah. Like there's things that there's like barely figuring out. I guess there's like pools of like the, like the same thing that like we put in batteries today. Like there's pools of that in like, underneath the the pyramids and they were like oh shit you're telling me they had a giant battery that just like lit up the entire city at night like super complex things that are just like but we kind of just like oh it's got to be aliens (laughs) like there's no way that these dudes (laughs) did it themselves and it's like i don't know i mean there's this whole like that's just like that's another one of those things that's just like super racist and i feel like that's another superiority complex yeah yeah. there's no way if like if you're telling me like white people in like london were like still like giving each other like hepatitis or whatever like over here because like or whatever like they were like inbreeding with each other like giving themselves like weird diseases and these other people were being super like technologically advanced and like creating like mathematical equations that these people wouldn't figure out for another like 300 years like i don't know i'm just saying like that's another one of those things in history that just kind of gets swept under the rug where it's just like like I mean, those, like, German Nazi, like, scientists that every time they bring up, like, oh, here's why white people are superior, it's like, yeah, white people have a long history of just keeping, like, minorities under, like, like Well, during suppressed. this time, too, like, they, that, like, actual, like, what they were teaching is that, you know, the, the, the justification for, like, slavery or indentured servants and whatnot, the justification was it, it was, like, because, you know, there's, we're, white people were smarter, and you know that like in Django, like when uh, Leonardo DiCaprio's character he was like, you know, this this skull has like a very small brain and stuff like they were teaching that, that, you know, like the, you know, black men and women had, you know, small brains and therefore were intellectually inferior. Yeah. And that, you know, white people were, you know, so far more advanced or whatever. This, so that- this is that weird, um, like weird science era. Like uh, it's I think it's called phrenology the the study of like the brain like of the of not the brain but the skull the shape of the skull um, yeah and like uh, yeah i mean it's weird i mean obviously it's not like taking this real science <laughs> now but it is it is interesting shout out to the roots album for analogy as well it's a good album oh yeah that's right but um yeah so let's go ahead and get into <laughs> what led uh to these uh, this massacre 
Um, so um, Memorial Day, again, another <laughs> fucking coincidence, you know, with the whole George Floyd thing. On Memorial Day, May 30th, 1921, uh, a young gentleman, 19-year-old, Diamond Dick Rowland, by the way, greatest fucking nickname of all time, right? Diamond Dick, right? Um, he's working at like a shoe shine parlor um, on Main Street, I want to say it is. And um, his employer had arranged, you know, for um, his employees, his, his black employees, to be able to use uh, the restroom. Um, I believe it's like somewhere across the street at this place called the Drexel Building. Uh, but it was all the way at the top of this building. So imagine like like you're working like at McDonald's or whatever. You can't use the McDonald's uh uh, bathroom because it's segregated. That's a white only bathroom. You have to go across the street. You have to go in an elevator and go on the very top floor to, you know, let's say do number one, number two or whatever. Right. If you're anything like me, when I got to go, I got to go. Like I ain't got time for all that nonsense. Um, but I'm assuming like, it's like, Oh fuck, I got to like space this out. I got a tingling right now. I better like take care of it right now. Not hold it because I know it's going to be like a 20 minute, a destination to get to, you know, the restroom yeah. or whatever. You know, if right? you hold it too long, that leads to erectile dysfunction. Yes, shout out to Liar Liar for yeah. um, putting me up on game yeah. to that. Um, but um, it's at, in this elevator um, in the Drexel building uh, that he came across a woman, a young girl, a 17-year-old named uh, Sarah Page. Now, their relationship is, it gets lost, like, in translation because some people say, like, oh, they were undercover lovers, uh, some people say that, you know, that they they knew each other, uh, but they had like this rivalry against each other. Uh, so, I mean, you ask like 10 different people, you get 10 different stories about like how they knew each other and what their relationship was. But um, as the story goes, um, you know, Dick Rowland, he's he's getting into the elevator. Uh, some say he trips and grabs her arm. Some say that, you know, they're having a conversation and he he, you know, you know, touches her arm. Uh, some people say like they get into an argument and she says that, oh, he grabbed me and he assaulted me or whatever. But whatever the situation is, is there was a situation where they were both in the elevator. Um, she screams. And then, you know, when the elevator gets to his destination, you know, back on back down on the first floor, he takes off running. And uh, one of the shopkeepers on the first floor kind of just assumes that, oh, shit, this this black kid uh, just tried to sexually assault, you know, this young girl. And to kind of go Quentin Tarantino this a little bit, there was this big thing going on, you know, in America where it's just like black men were seen like as these like rapist rape machines that were just out to like rape and de desecrate fucking white women. And it was all due to that movie that I was talking about, Birth of a Nation. Yeah, I mean, this is the this is Ku Klux Klan 101. Like that was a lot of those like caricature drawings that were coming out that were like portraying like black men as like monsters. And yeah, that Birth of a Nation where it's like black people were kind of viewed as like zombies and monsters, and like the Ku Klux Klan were the heroes and the good guys, and mm -hmm. like kind of like today with like Blue Lives Matters, the good guys <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah, um, but. Yeah, I mean that's where that's where like society was at the time, and and yeah, I saw a lot of like different conflicting things. Most of the things I saw were like he stepped on her shoe as like they were walking in, and she screamed, and um, because fast forward like a little bit down the line, she doesn't press charges. She doesn't want anything to do with this case. She's she like, even says that like, hey, all those stories that you guys were telling. That's not how any of this went down. And she was just like, no, like, I don't want anything bad to happen to him. Yeah, like, there's no charges pressed. Like, it's the reaction of society, like, that 
that um <laughs> i was gonna say like the nra culture but it's like uh, i think michael moore has like a really good take on this on his like um on his bowling for columbine movie where he plays like this thing of like white people always having this like weird insecurity about themselves with like like i have to own a gun and be like super like on edge all the time and i do think i mean it's he's doing that as a joke but you look at like history in general like that's what this is like i don't understand how this is anything but that like anything but like oh no this black man tried to take a white woman's virginity or whatever like just that fear of that like kind of kind of thing like I mean, that's all this is. This is just react like an entire you know town was gonna burn by the end of this just because of that one seed of fear that they had, mm-hmm. and yeah, I don't know. I I just that's but yeah, that is the origin of it, and it is it is an origin that yeah, like you said, like there's very little that came out. Most of the, most of it was just like somehow she screamed like he must have stepped on a shoe or something or like. I mean, tripped on her foot or something, and like she got startled and screamed. I mean, let, go down whatever story you want to go go down. Right, the end result is like she said it was a big nothing burger at the end of it. You know, uh, one story I saw that like, hey, Dick Rowland was you know very good with the ladies, and who knows, maybe she had a crush on him, and maybe um, you know they flirted like a lot in the elevator, and you know she got wind that you know he was seeing some other girl, and he was just like, hey, girl, you know, like went to like grab her hand or her arm and be like, Hey, listen, you know, don't, don't take this, you know, too serious or whatever. And then, you know, she overreacted and, you know, some, some crazy girlfriend do that, you know, will we'll cry yeah. wolf or whatever. Right. And I'm not victim shaming at all here, but I'm just saying, I'm just laying it out. Like, Hey, that could be an explanation for what happened. Some people say, Hey, he tripped on the elevator. The, again, this is 1921. I'm assuming that elevator wasn't built that day yeah. uh, with, that, you know, fucking Elon Musk technology or whatever. So it might've been rickety and he fucking tripped on it. It must've been a shaky thing. It could have fucked just, up just to be the devil's avocado here. Um, he could have like tried to like be like, "Hey, get over here, give me some, give me some loving." I mean, that's another reality, and she was just like, overreacted. I mean, that is a possibility, just just because we don't really know what happened. Yeah, but I doubt like he had enough time to fucking sit there and fucking sexually assault her. And I don't think he sexually assaulted her, but it's just like maybe made like a suggestive comment or something, whatever. It or may yeah, be. maybe just that. Like, maybe just like threw you know, f- like shot his shot at her, and she just it, it didn't want it. Or yeah, right? I mean, at that point, it's just like. Like, unless he was, like, quiet to his hands on his side and, like, just, like, keeping, like, like his, like, eyes locked to the ground to make no eye contact with her. Like, I think anything but that would have been viewed as a sign of aggression from him. Yeah. So, like, I mean, again, that's the society we lived in. So, like. Possibly. Know. Possibly. Yeah. Uh, so, what ends up happening is he fled. He flees to his mother's home, which is in, you know, the Greenwood District. And, um. You know, she, you know, the police are called, you know, due to that shopkeeper or whatever. And, you know, they start their investigation, you know, again, they, they find a big nothing burger about it, but somehow some way, um, a newspaper gets a hold of it and, um, they write an article and I want to preface by this by saying that we can't find this article because the microfilm that, you know, exists for this newspaper has it clipped out. Um, but it actually says... Tulsa Tribune, it says, um, nab a N-word for attacking a girl in an elevator. And then it also has another clipped out, you know, article that says to lynch an N-word tonight. 
So this newspaper was famous for, you know, writing, like we were mentioning on the Patreon, like, you know, you know, Weekly World News and the National Enquirer, like writing like these sensationalist stories, you know, to sell mm-hmm. their newspaper, basically fanning like the racial tension that was going on at this time. And by the time the newspaper hits the stands at, I guess, 3 p.m., you know, the next day, uh, police had already taken, you know, uh, Dick Rowland into, you know, custody. And I thought that was weird since they already had talked to Sarah and said that, like, he was um, innocent, basically, of what the shopkeeper was saying. Well, I think that this is one of the few times I'll agree with the police on this one. I think they knew shit was about to get correct. Throw down like things were not. I mean, if if things today are like, like oh no, a black person like spit on a cop, let's go burn down. And I mean, that's where we are right now. Like, let yeah. me take my racist car and like smash it into an LGBTQ like car or whatever. Like, uh, pro, I don't know. We're, we're just in this weird place right now in society. I can only imagine back then, like, oh, this black kid made a, a white woman scream. That's not right. Like. I saw birth, I saw that documentary Birth of a Nation. Yeah, I think I think the cops are doing the smart thing in like taking him in. At least it shows that you're doing something, mm-hmm. and then you know like letting letting it all cool down, and then just going forward from then on. The way people reacted is a part of that's like gets the scary crazy. part. Yeah, yeah. So um, they take him in. I believe at first they take him to like regular, you know, uh, the uh, I don't want to say jail because he was never imprisoned, uh, but he was, I guess you can say, in protective custody at first. Then they got wind that you know this newspaper article that came out, and you know by four p.m. several you know white residents started to gather around the courthouse. So so they take him. So he's already at the courthouse at this time because it was like more of a, a more secure, you know, holding facility. And they have him like on the top floor. They have like six guards like all around him. And then like they're protecting like the staircase. Pretty much everything that should have happened like at the Capitol. Like, you yeah, know, like yeah. with fucking the Proud Boys, you know, stormed the Capitol and shit. Like they had it like, you know, locked down like a fortress. Uh, but they, they had like several, you know, white residents outside of the courthouse. To pretty much demanding that the sheriff like hand him over to this mob so that way they can lynch him. Yeah, I mean, shit was popping off. Like it, it was getting pretty scary pretty fast there. Um, I mean, the entire mob was coming down. Like it, it was, it was going to be like I don't know. Do you have the number of like police officers that were there at the courthouse? They don't have that, but they like every article that I would see or every account that I would say, like they were vastly outnumbered. So like, like as the hours were growing, so this is like at 4 PM, right? This, the newspaper hit stands like at 3 PM by 4 PM. Like there's like, like, let's say like, you know, 50, you know, mobsters like outside of, you know, the courthouse by like 7:30 PM. There was several hundred, I believe like by 9:30 there's like almost a thousand and by like midnight there's like 2000 like mobs like just just calling for him to be lynched. Yeah. It, it was getting fucking crazy like um um I can only imagine to be completely honest with you I can only imagine how terrifying that must be for for him mm-hmm. like knowing that uh he's I I mean if I was in that position I'd be like dude I'm going to die like they're not going to protect me like they're they're just going to like let me get lynched like Mm -hmm. um but somehow the police did their job (laughs) yeah i know like it's weird right yeah well and for a while they did their job because i mean later on there's there's some fucked up shit that happened but it's important to note that like there's the actual police and then there's the sheriff's department kind of like what we have here like in kern county where it's like there's the bpd and then there's a sheriff like 
they're two different entities, right? So I believe the, these were the sheriffs that were protecting Dick at this time because he got transferred to the, like the county courthouse. Um, but yeah, like as I was saying, like as time was going on, you know, more and more like white people like would show up, you know, demanding that, you know, to the sheriff, turn him in, turn him over so that way we can lynch him. And they were saying that like a year before this, they had a different sheriff and that sheriff like allowed like a lot of like these lynchings to occur. Like, let's say, you know, somebody like swiped a Snickers bar, uh, you know, they would allow, you know, instead of putting them like in prison, they would allow like the lynch mob to come and like lynch him for it. Right. So there was a lot of black men that got lynched for it. The year before this, the sheriff of, you know, around Tulsa or whatever, he lost his job because he allowed a white man to get lynched uh, because he was accused of murder. You know, instead of him going through, you know, his, you know, day in court and whatnot, you know, the lynch mob pretty much took over. Uh, So Tulsa was lynch happy at this time. Right. Mm -hmm. So they got this new sheriff in town. You know, who's like a railroad investigator or whatever, uh, because he was going to be the opposite of that. He wasn't going to allow any of this shit to happen. So, like, by 930, he's outside. Again, very outnumbered by all these people. By 930, there's like 2,000, you know, white mobsters outside, you know, asking for his lynching. And he's telling them, like, hey, no lynching is going to happen today. You guys need to go home. And, you know, and I guess a couple of, you know, people, like, stormed into uh into the courthouse and i guess like you know all the like sheriff's officers like they had like their rifles you know pointed at them and shit like hey you take one more step we're gonna blow your fucking head off so they you know kind of like go back now back at greenwood they're starting to get like you know you know get 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 wind of what's going on and they're like no we can't have this happen and about 50 to 60 um you know black men you know from greenwood most of them being former World War One veterans show up to help protect, um, you know, Dick Rowland just to make sure like nothing pops off. And they were describing it as just like they were they went up to the, you know, the police officers and like, hey, if you guys need our help, you know, we're veterans like we're trained in like how to, you know, quell a situation like we, we're here to help you help protect him. And basically the sheriff was like, nope, we can't have you do this. We can't let's remember this word. We can't deputize, you know, to do our job right here. And I thought that was pretty cool just because it's just like, hey, like they're they're pretty much like doing their job at this point. Yeah. Yeah, no, you're right. Um th- this is the part of the story that I think is kind of strange. Um because at one point once the mob decides to start marching onto Tulsa, this is where like information starts c- becoming kind of like like the mob got ultra aggressive at this point like mm-hmm. they were ready to, to burn the whole town down oh yeah they went there with a purpose yeah and and one of the things that uh, that was going on was that mob had an, an idea that they were gonna like walk into like a war like I don't know if it was the false information and they were just trying to rile people up but they were saying like that people people in Greenwood were gonna be there like waiting for them like to like fight back with guns and all the stuff. Yeah, they called it a Negro uprising. Yeah, and so, which there wasn't anything there. It was just, you know, people, like, getting out of, like, the famous thing, and, and you'll see this in the in the uh, the um, the Watchmen show. It's, like, people were in the movies, like, barely getting out of the movie theater. Yeah. Um, and, like, people were, like, kind of surprised by, like, a giant mob coming in, like, in their Ku Klux Klan, like, outfits, like, burning things down. Shit's pretty wild. Yeah. So before that happens, um, you know, again, like I said, like there was these World War One veterans that were there to pretty much help, you know, the police because, you know, people were trying to break into like, 
you know, the National Guard armory to steal guns so that way that, you know, they can have more ammo to break into the uh, courthouse to get Dick rolling. Um, but, you know, when the, you know, the World War One veterans showed up, um, a lot of the white mobsters were just like, hey, you need, like you were saying with like the NRA, like you need to hand over your pistol. A black man shouldn't be carrying a gun in public like that to start trouble. Yeah. And one of the men was just like, no, like I fought for my country to hold this, to have this Second Amendment right, basically, right? Yeah. And I guess at that moment, again, you ask t- 10 different people, you'll get 10 different stories. But the most consistent story is like a shot got fired in the air. And at that moment, again, you, I mean, we're from the hood. You hear a shot come out. You don't know if it's going up in the air or coming towards you. At that instance, this is like when the first battle occurred and like, you know, both sides started shooting on each other. So at the end of like this first like little battle outside of the courthouse, uh, 10 whites died and two black men died. And this is like where everybody just all hell breaks loose where you're talking about like where, you know, people were coming out of the movie theaters and, you know, the mob started, you know, assaulting people and whatnot because they were chasing all the black men you know, that were out there, you know, chasing them back to Greenwood. And on their way, like, they would loot every business. They would set it on fire. And then how I was talking about how it was, like, there was a portion of the police that were doing their job. Mm -hmm. Well, there was another portion of the police that weren't doing their job, and they started deputizing, you know, white mobsters and multiple people. You talk to 10 different people, you'll get the same story in this instance where they were here. I'm like, hey, get a gun and kill an n-word yeah i mean people were i mean i'm not saying all cops all cops are doing their jobs but um but some of them were like i'm pretty surprised by the amount of cops that were doing their job especially this part of the country this time like in american history like it's pretty surprising how how many of them were doing their jobs um they later on though once the mob is like pretty aggressive, um, they kind of like say like, yes, this militia like speaks for the police or something like that. Like this militia has been like, like is an official like police matter now. Now that all these people are like going to go destroy like, uh, Greenwood, like, like the police just says like, yeah, that they're this is okay. Like we're okay with this kind of thing. And that to me is just like, you know, that's the part of of this whole thing, if there's one thing that should be highlighted is that, you know, all of these people agreed upon saying like, this is, we're on the side of, of good here by letting all these people go in to destroy a town. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that was pretty interesting. It's weird, right? Yeah. It's weird. But I mean, that's just society. Like I think society, if you have enough people telling you that this is okay to do, that's human nature to like, to like, um, to just go with that like have you heard of that princeton experiment oh yeah the stanford prison stanford yeah the stanford prison experiment like um so like i mean if you don't know about it i mean they basically put some like kids as prison guards and basically let them do whatever they wanted to these like fake prisoners as time and time went on these prisoners became more and more like cruel to the prisoners and like started making them like like simulate sex acts with other prisoners even though these kids had done nothing it was just like putting people in position of power without having a system of checks and balances and i always bring that up like absolute power corrupts absolutely yeah i think there's always supposed to be like in anything you have to have a system of checks and balances like there's no one that is just like 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 foolproof there's i don't i don't know maybe bernie sanders is like a good guy but like (laughs) 
for the most part, you always have to have that system of checks and balances. And this shows a great example of, yes, this police force was extremely tainted and just didn't have anyone telling them otherwise and validated this entire mob to go in to destroy. I mean, we saw what the president of the United States validating the Proud Boys recently and being like, stand down and stand by kind of thing. Like, that's ridiculous. Like, that's the society that we live in right now. That, like, that is going on today. The president of the United States, not just the local police force, but the president of the United States is, like, validating these things. And it's it's pretty ridiculous. Yeah. So by 11 p.m., this is, like, when the Tulsa National Guard gets involved. And basically what they start doing is, is protecting, you know, just, like, white establishments. Uh, because there was like a lot of like, you know, I mentioned like the first like shootout or whatever. So like there was like a lot of like mini shootouts as there there should be. Right. Like you have this like wild mob like coming through like your, you know, your home basically. And Greenwood, I believe, it was like 37 blocks of, you know, of, of black businesses, black homes, you know, just just this whole community basically. Right. Like a whole a city within to itself. Right. Yeah. And so you were having people like, I mean, you're going to defend like your house, you know what I'm saying? Which is, which is, which is justified, right? So you'd have people like on the roofs, you know, shooting people off of there and whatnot. And so what the Tulsa National Guard started to do is like, they just started to, you know, secure, you know, like, you know, white businesses, white homes, you know, city hall, things like that. And then what they started to do is, is they would go up to like white employers. So at this, how we mentioned like at the beginning of the episode, you had like a lot of like, you know. Uh, black people who would be like, you know, like, uh, you know, live in cooks, live in nannies, um, who would be employed by like these white uh, families. And so what the Tulsa National Guard started to do is like round up all of these, these employees, these black employees of these, you know, white families. And if those white families didn't comply, like they either take them into custody or shoot them. And so you had like a lot of like white families like, well, hey, I don't want, you know, you know, my employee like he's that's just, he's a part of our family. I don't want him going. I don't know what you guys are going to do. Like you guys are fucking lynching and killing people for no goddamn reason. Like, why would I do this? Well, you're going to do it or you're going to end up in the same position as him. So like they started like this weird, like you said, like this weird Stanford thing where it's just like, OK, like it, it became bigger than just like, you know, bringing justice for fucking Sarah Page or whatever. It was just this whole thing where it's just like they're just wilding out at this point. And um, so that happened. And then also to it around this time, uh, mobs just started lighting businesses on fire. Like there would just be like an empty, you know, movie theater. They would light that on fire. Uh, One survivor uh, from the Tulsa race massacre, she was saying that like, yeah, we were just in our house. Like we were just trying to like, you know, we, our mom just said like, Hey, hide under the bed. My dad was like, you know, by the front door with a shotgun, we turned off all the lights. We try to make it just as inconspicuous as possible. And then like, you know, this white mobster, he just like punches through the window, gets a torch and like lights the curtains on fire. And we had no choice, but to like leave out the back door and run down the railway tracks and just kept running until we couldn't run anymore. until we were like far away from like all the trouble. So it was just like all this, just like madness uh, that would occur. So you had all these burnings happening to all these homes and businesses and whatnot. So obviously the fire department's coming, you know, trying to, you know, do their job, if, if you will. And then all these deputized mobsters, what they were doing is that when the fire department would show up, they would turn their guns on them and saying, hey, you better not, you know, in so many words, you know, put out this fire, you know, for these N-words, basically. I kept seeing that, like, all over the place, like, those, like, direct quotes, like, from survivors that would witness this going on. Yeah, I mean, shit was wild, man. <laughs> like, I mean, 
I mean, that's essentially like the gist of like the destruction that started happening in, in this. I'm I'm always just impressed by uh, how this is not big in like American history because like, it sounds like well a Quentin taught. Tarantino movie, doesn't it? Like the end of like a Django or fucking Inglorious Bastards or like just like one of those like like grand like Tarantino finales or whatever. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean it does. It is pretty pretty epic, but I mean not even just the epic part of it, but I mean it, it shows you like where we are as a country where like things like this are avoided and really avoided is the word where it's like they're not taught they're not even brought up on accident things like juneteenth are just not something that people even want to bring up or talk about kind of thing that's when the president the former president of the united states talks about how he doesn't he didn't know juneteenth was a thing it's just kind of like that should tell you something like that (laughs) should really tell you something you have so many. You have your neighbor that flies a, a a Second Amendment flag, but I don't. I'm pretty sure he doesn't know all the amendments. Like, yeah. I'm pretty sure he doesn't know what day like black people were. It's no longer cool to own black sla- to own slaves in general. Like I'm, I'm sure he doesn't give a fuck about the amendments. And that's one of those things that like is like like that aha moment. Like if you ever want to point to something to society today still being extremely racist so it's, it's this it's the fact that these these events are not well known besides like podcasts in the history channel that bring them up mm-hmm. on from time to time or a fucking uh, hbo show fucking watchmen or something like that yeah um but and, and that's credit to that that's probably the been the biggest example of like it being on a big national spotlight another thing too is um how how much it's been in the media but then it kind of gets like lost in the background. So are you familiar with the band, the gap band? No. Oh, so you, do you know the song? Like, um, she dropped the bomb on me, yeah. baby. So that band, they're from Tulsa. And the way they got their name, the gap band was, is, a uh, um, Charlie Wilson. That's the lead singer. He does like a lot of stuff with Snoop Dogg. Um, but I've heard him say this a few times where it's just like, we get our name from Greenwood and I believe like some, there's some other streets that, you know, one starts with a, and then another starts with P. So it's like kind of like, you know, a mixture of like all those streets. So it's basically, he gets his name from black wall street, right? You know, the gap band, right? It's not uh-huh. the gap, like the fucking mall store or whatever. Right. But it's because of like these streets, these prominent streets within, you know, black wall street that, you know, they get their name from. And he says, he goes, I named the band that because I didn't want, like, anytime somebody asked me, like, you know, like the band Corn, like, where do you get your name from? Like, anytime somebody would, like, you know, ask the band, like, hey, where do you get your name from? He had the opportunity to tell a story about Tulsa, you know, because he learned about it. I mean, they're a band from, like, the 70s and 80s. He learned about it from a, a lady he went to church with that told him all about it. And she says, don't you tell anybody about it until I'm gone. And so when they made it big and whatnot, would you drop the bomb on me? Like she had already passed. So anytime like, you know, a Japanese reporter would ask him like, hey, what does, what, what does Gatman mean? Like he would, you know, tell him the story about the Tulsa massacre. And it's wild because it's like th- that was a pretty big band. And he was he worked with, you know, a, a pretty big hip hop artist, Snoop Dogg. Like he's in a lot of like Snoop Dogg songs. And it's weird like how like it's just like that just kind of just gets buried until like. We, we don't really it doesn't really blow up even like podcasts that i was seeing you don't really see it mentioned until like after the whole george floyd you know black lives matter movement that just happened in 2020 yeah i mean i think that this is this is this was well, you know what was happening in in the country over the last couple of years kind of put this 
this back on the spotlight. Like, hey, things like this have happened in the past. Um, what was the one where, like, that dude, like, ran his car into, like... Oh, Charlottesville? Charlottesville. I think Charlottesville was that big, like, awakening for a lot of people. And... But, I mean, things like, like Colin Kaepernick, like, those types of things were already happening. Like, like there should have been, like, an awakening of, like, hey, like, we should probably pay attention to, like, <laughs> racist actions in, in, like, in this country. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think for so many years, we talked about in, in the Patreon episode how, like, there's so much, like, fluff out there, like, the Jerry Springers. And now we have internet, and, like, now we have internet that... um that lets us like we can research it if we want like it's all at the touch of our fingertips now if i wanted to look up like greenwood if i wanted to look up you know type in black wall street and the history of like how how successful it was you can find it super easily yeah it's it's completely up to you now and um i think that i think that that's why it's become more popular now obviously i think watchmen had a big part of that yeah because it, it, it had never been on that like national spotlight like the way watchmen did it like where it's like we're gonna start the show with that mm. like we're gonna start the show with showing the race riot um and doing and, a really good job at it like yeah because i mean doing the research on it like i kept fast for or not fast forwarding or like going back in my mind like oh yeah like i saw that like in watchmen or whatever and i believe like lovecraft country I was seeing clips of that too. I believe like they have like a scene in there too, like where they. Did you like that show? I, I've only seen one episode and it was like whatever to me. Yeah, but, I didn't like that show, man. It, it, I got it. Like I, I get where you guys are coming from. I get like, but I just didn't. I, it, it gets goofier and goofier the more you watch it. Yeah, I mean it's. I, I agree with you. Yeah, it's just it's weird. Um, but you know, speaking of like, you dropped the bomb on me and all that shit. Um, kind of like start to like endish this story. Um, again, I mentioned it's like a lot like a Quentin Tarantino movie where you think it's over, but it's not. Uh, but at 5 a.m., um, there was a train whistle. And by this time, you know, like, yeah, like buildings are burning or whatever, right? And you think, like, okay, everybody's kind of got, like, their the devil out, you know, whatnot, right? Well, a train whistle um, goes off, and a lot of the mobsters that are still out still have some energy going through them and whatnot. They take it as a symbol to blitz the entire community of Greenwood. So they had already, you know, like burned like a few businesses or whatever, more than businesses than there should have been in homes and whatnot. But they all started just like to gather and just totally like, hey, we need to decimate all of it. And so what they do is they start lighting everything that's not not burned or still standing. They, they made it a mission to like, you know, pretty much try to level it. And then the number switches, uh, but there was a, reports of about three or five airplanes that were used to drop, you know, Mazeltov cocktails and turpentine cocktails and pretty much just like homemade bombs onto the entire community of Greenwood. Mm-hmm. Or uh, one lady, she said that, you know, she was running down, you know, the railroad tracks to get out of Tulsa. And she saw like, you know, one of these airplanes and it was kind of like, you know, an apocalypse now, like where they're like shooting like the machine gun outside of the, the airplane. She says, yeah, that's pretty much what they were doing. Like people that were running, like they would just like, you know, they would be shooting after him, you know, like Red Baron style and shit. And I was just like, God damn, this sounds like, again, like something out of a fucking action movie that's not supposed to, one of those fluff pieces, right? Like this can't be real. Not, you know, like this can't have happened, but it just kept getting worse and worse until um, 9.15 in the morning. 
when the Oklahoma City National Guard came and pretty much like you know put a stop to everything you know they they put in check like all the fucking you know Tulsa you know National Guardsmen like all the mobsters or whatever they gathered up you know everybody they put pretty much like declared martial law at this point right Mm -hmm. and by noon of that day everything had kind of like quelled down Um, and they were in martial law I believe it was like for like half of a week Uh, but during this time period you know from June 1st up until the winter of 1922 so like a year about half of a year basically right Uh, fucking 6,000 black people were interned in camps around Tulsa, um, pretty much made homeless. Um, you know, they, they were like on the fairgrounds and whatnot. And the only way they can get out of these internment camps, if like a white employer, like vouch for them and vouch that they wouldn't cause any trouble. Uh, basically 191 businesses were gone. Uh, many schools, churches, and the only hospital, you know, were all decimated. Uh, 1,256 houses burned to the ground. Um, they said 250 homes were looted of all their valuables. Um, they said there was about a, uh, $33 million in, you know, property damage and 10,000, um, black people were made homeless by all of these, these acts. And what sucks is, is like, that sucks. Like all that violence sucks and every, all the aftermath of that sucks. But the city of Tulsa created like all these laws that pretty much made it difficult to impossible for Black Wall Street and Greenwood to rebuild. You know, they they labeled it as, you know, a race riot. So that means that insurance wouldn't cover it, any of the damages. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they made all sorts of new ordinances that, you know, all these homes had to be built with X, Y, and Z building materials because of the fires. So they couldn't just rebuild with, you know, structures that, you know, they had previously been built with. It has to be all this fireproof stuff. And the city officials said, hey, don't sell it to these black communities. And what they did is eventually, you know, down, just basically like we talk about, um, fuck, what's the word? Um, systemic racism. It was pretty much this, like all these like policies and laws were passed to pretty much make it impossible for, you know, Black Wall Street to be able to rebuild. They did rebuild it, but it never became pretty much what it was in the past. It was always kind of like an uphill battle. And from that day forward, nobody, they talked about, it was like a conspiracy of silence. No black people talked about what happened, and no white people talked about what happened. That's pretty wild, man. It's pretty wild that, you know, we have, like... Now what's happening in like a state like Georgia where the MLB just pulled its um, all-star game from there um, because of laws they didn't like that were getting passed. And, of course, like a lot of that is going to be because they were – a lot of people believe that they were suppressing black voters because they were having them like show – like you got to show your ID, you got to show all these things. And like um, those are things that mo- mostly would affect – um, like impoverished black communities more than any other community. Um, I mean, we still have those things happening today. Like we still have like sectioned off like communities that are like, this is definitely going to be an impoverished community where like, we probably won't patrol the, pol- the, the police probably won't be that present here. We don't have zoning laws where like there's going to be liquor stores close to elementary schools over off of, um, What's that one Norris Elementary here in Bakersfield? 
uh, off of Norris Elementary, they had this huge like uprising because they were going to build a liquor store down the street. And when I say a liquor store, it was going to be a gas station, like, <laughs> and but they were going to sell liquor. Yeah, and they didn't want to have like their kids walk by it every day or like see like liquor all the time. And I, all I kept thinking was like, dude, like we're kids. There was like that ninety nine cent store that's next to like John's Burgers, like. They, I don't know, Seven Eleven, Seven Eleven. There's so many. Like, there's another fucking gas station to the right. There's, a there's literally, there was, like, I mean, bar bar burned down, uh, but Amstoys was like literally like a hop, skip, and a jump away from the elementary school we went to, right across the street from the junior high we went to. There was three bars there's right there. There's so many, yeah, yeah, over there by where Lowe's is now. Like, there's still a bar there, like Grenadier, the Grenadier and like yeah. so many bars, like all over that place, like the fact that there is no uprising because of this is a mostly like Hispanic community on this side of town, but like over there, like Norris elementary white community, like, Oh no, we're not going to build a fucking, you have to build it like four miles away from here or whatever. Like, come on, like, come on. If, (laughs) if, if anything doesn't scream, like this is clearly meant to like affect like upper middle class white kids. Like, I don't know what does like this stuff is still happening. Like, Mm. like, the way that the voting districts are divided, the way that everything is like set up, there's still so much racism. The, the NRA is still a thing. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. like, I mean, and like it's, you said, like it was designed to keep, uh, I mean, that would be worth looking into, but I'll take your word for it. Um, but you know, to keep guns out of black men's hands, it, we were mentioning it on the lost Patreon episode where I was saying like, have you seen that college humor video clip? where it was, like, two stereotypical, like, Second Amendmenters, and they're like, yeah, I'm sick of these liberals trying to take my guns away. And then, like, uh, then this, like, Black Panther black guy comes into the picture and says, yeah, exactly. I believe that every single American should be able to own a, you know, a firearm. And, he, like, he has, like, like a bazooka or something, like, outrageous or whatever with him. And he's like, well, I, I don't know about every – and he goes, why not every American? And he was, like, he was, like, toting on a line of, like, oh, like, what, I shouldn't – like, a black man shouldn't have a fucking gun or whatever – and it was a really like it's a funny clip. It's funny because it's true. It's just like, yeah, we're cool with like cowboy, you know, fucking redneck dude that drinks Bud Light or whatever, or Coors Light, you know, having you know like seventeen guns or whatever. But it's only a problem, like problem, quote unquote, like you know, if a black man has a gun or whatever, right? And it, it's a, the weirdest like double standard. It is. I mean. Yeah, That's, like all these mass shootings, like I don't really see black people doing it, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I mean, I think it was that uh, the march. It was pretty recently where like a bunch of like black militants showed up with like machine guns and. It scared the crap out of white people. I was like, dude, that's what fucking white people do all the time. Like all those Trump supporters are like, well, I have my right to carry an arm. Like it's not just white people that get the right to carry an arm. Like yeah, just because like you're putting these laws that make it a lot more difficult to like for for black people to to own guns doesn't mean like that uh that it's okay just because it's a, that's the law like there are laws that are like completely wrong and racist um i mean fast forward to just you know from where we are i mean not that far back they had that stop and frisk law in new york city which is like bloomberg who was a democrat like uh, put that law out there, the stop and frisk, which is a total racist law. It was just stopping black men 
to like stop and frisk them to like see if they were carrying drugs or weapons or whatever. They weren't stopping like dudes in business suits, white dudes like coming off of like they're like you're wearing a Charlotte Hornets jacket. Like you look bad. Like you know, and it's just like what? Imagine if you went to like you know the hillbilly uh, portion of the city or whatever and started uh, uh, stopping and frisking them. Yeah, you'd have a lot of fucking people in jail because of that. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, like what? You know, like it, it, you're only targeting a certain community or whatever. It's kind of goes back to like music too, like we were talking about, where like you know the PMRC they want to put like all these like explicit lyrics like on like rock and rap records or whatever. But mm-hmm. you go to like you know country music where it's like you got Johnny Cash saying, "I just wanted to shoot a man to watch him die," kind of. Thing. And I love Johnny Cash, uh, but there's no explicit, you know, uh, you know. Uh, thing on that you know like there's there's country artists like where it's just like their whole thing is about you know screwing on a saturday night like getting girls drunk and whatnot and it's just like that doesn't get a parental advisory sticker on it so it's like these weird double standards that you see like where it's okay for certain people but not okay for these other people like that are seen like as misfits or outcasts of society but when in fact when leave left to their own devices are able to create a better society than what you guys can imagine kind of thing you know that Mambo number five song? Yeah, Lou Bega, man. Lou God Bega, bless. Like, where he's basically just doing an entire laundry list of all the women that he's had sex with. Can you imagine a woman singing that song? Like, that song would be like, like, here's Tommy Lauren, or like, whatever her name is. What, what's her name? Not Tommy Lauren. Um, What's her name? Is her name Tommy? Yeah, the, the blonde haired girl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tommy Lauren. Uh, yeah, like here's why like she's upset at this song of like this launch. She, she this woman has set women back thirty years, and it's like shut the fuck up. Like we're just not even there in, as a society that we can. Like there's so many double standards. I know today's more about like racism, but like just like the inequalities that we have in the society. Like even though that Lou Vega song came out in like. 97 yeah like yeah in the late 90s or whatever like we're still not there yet with like women's rights like equality like women are not there like you can't do that song like mickey minaj talked about a song about like being pleasured by a man and like it was like the most outrageous thing like my vagina's wet and and it's kind of like to tie this into this episode too where it's just like they they sacrifice they make somebody like a lamb that you know somebody else is sacrificing like you know the sarah page like oh this this black dude was trying to rape her in an elevator and it's just like they they do the same thing like oh the children will somebody think of the children when when cardi b is talking about her wet ass pussy and it's just like well, where are you at, like, when fucking WAP is coming on or whatever, right? And even if it is coming on, like, it's your job as a parent to parent them, not fucking fucking Cardi B. Like, yeah, I mean, if, if celebrities have more influence in your household than you do, then you're just a bad parent. Yeah. I mean, that's the end of that argument. Like, that's just that's just what it is. Like, video games should not have a, more, a, a larger influence than you do. Celebrities, musicians, they should not have sports if I, I forgot who that um who who the athlete was that said like if you want me to be a good role model then like you're looking at the wrong person or something like that forgot who it was but that's oh, a great, charles barkley fucking every fucking S- somebody had like a really good quote i think it was like rudy colbert or something but um they had a good quote about like i'm not an i'm not a role model like why are you looking at me to be a, your child's role model like that's not who i am like yeah. you should be your kid's role model I mean, that's, that's the reality of it. Like, don't expect that shit. Like, we're all just human. But, like, you should still be a good parent. And, like, just 
accepting something because your parents were racist and now you're you know if your parents were like the ones burning down things in tulsa and now you know you still like follow that lineage like there has to be evolution like that you have to evolve from that and sadly we're still there like the trumps of the world are still very much like a thing like that to me is like the scary part that we've we've moved the needle like maybe like a smidge since then and that's about it <laughs> i feel like we move it and then it gets moved back and then we move it and then it gets moved back dude it, it, it's like a, it's like a it's like a it, uh, it doesn't move it goes into hiding it doesn't move it's still there uh, just because no one's saying it doesn't mean it's not there it's undercover and then it yeah no it, it's still there man that the bear's just in hibernation that's all it is but it's true. there and unfortunately I don't, I don't i think we'll see the story once again um I mean, like I said, like fast forward a hundred ninety nine years later, we have George Floyd saying it's wild, like the same date to the day, you know, that something like that happens again. And then um, in ninety six, uh, there was actually you remember like the Oklahoma City bombing. I do. Um, somebody was saying like in um, you know their Congress, they were like, "This is the worst act that ever happened on Oklahoma soil." And uh, one of the, like the state senators or representatives was like, "Hey, what about the Tulsa race uh, massacre?" And everybody's like, "What? What are you talking about?" And so, like in '96, like out of the Oklahoma City bombing, there was this uh, Tulsa race uh, commission that was commissioned, where like they ma- kind of made it like their governmental duty to find out as much as possible. So this is why you get like all of these like survivors finally co- after like almost a hundred years. Well, like 80 70 years like after the fact like all these elderly people like sharing their stories about like hey what they experienced uh they found documents that are now like in the smithsonian that were actual like you know like diary entries of like you know documenting what happened um you know they started to uncover like articles from other newspapers you know of the times like washington post like so this is very concentrated effort to get like as much information as possible uh, starting in 96 and even that though like it was very like all over the place like there was like estimates that like oh only 30 people died to all the way up to where it's just like oh well shit like you know 900 people died so like it's very much it was even though like they commissioned like this this body to like find out as much as they could about like the Tulsa race right a lot of it is just like you know just word of mouth and like all these like inconsistent stories um, even to the fact to where it's just like, um, one of the documentaries I was watching is that, you know, oral history was passed down, you know, very secretly, you know, from family member to family member. And it's just like, Hey, don't talk about this. Uh, but like older generations would be like, they would pass by, you know, like a gravesite or like this random plot of land and be like, Hey, you know, they're still buried in there. Right. And so like they use some of like that oral history back, you know, fast forward to 2020, you know, the current uh, mayor, um, G.T. Bynum, instead of, like, giving reparations or whatever, like, the commission, like, suggested, he's like, well, instead of, like, punishing, you know, white taxpayers with, you know, giving out uh, reparations, uh, what we're going to do is treat this as a murder investigation. And I guess they started, like, digging around, like, all these, like, supposed uh, places. And they are finding, like, some mass graves, like, where they'll find, like, 12, like, you know, unmarked bodies there. And they're starting to do like forensics to try to like identify, you know, who these people are and whatnot. It's pretty fascinating, but still like yeah. that whole thing like about like, well, we're not going to punish white taxpayers uh, to give them reparations, but we're going to spend even more money on digging up, you know, the graves and, you know, trying to identify. Like it's like this weird, 
weird thing like and i don't know if you want to open up that can of worms or whatever but it's just like it's st- like it still rubbed me a weird way where it's just like there was like this whole argument about reparations that you know some citizens were talking about it was just like hey like there's no generational wealth now like with my family because you guys burned it all to the ground yeah. and stopped us from rebuilding. So like you put us back in a situation where, you know, after the Emancipation Proclamation, you just threw us on a dirt road and said, hey, you know, make your own way kind of thing. And then like another lady, African-American lady said, like, I'm against reparations because white people have a tendency of trying to come up with a quick fix as opposed to fixing the root problem, which I mean is racism and whatnot. So it's just like, it's weird. I don't know what the answer to this would be, but yeah, um, that's where we're at in 2021. You know what? I've heard a lot more people being in favor of reparations and being against it. Um, I understand that that sounds like a quick fix is just giving people money. Mm-hmm. But I do think that um, if you give people money and, and, um, and you give them an opportunity to create black businesses to become like, independently wealthy from like having to go work for someone else and starting like their own, um, their own, like, you know, we talked about killer Mike and how he, how much he struggled to find like 100% black owned businesses. That's a big reality that we haven't here in the United States that like, I, I mean, you'll find more like Hispanic owned businesses here in the United States. I mean, obviously like Mexico is across the street, so it's a little bit different, but Still, we've had hundreds and hundreds of years of, like, black people being in this country, and yet there's still a lot of, like, of a lot of businesses that are not 100% black-owned. Like, you look at things like, like, like how many black NFL owners are there? I honestly can't think of one. I'm sure there is at least one, but no, I can't I think. think. That, I think they're all white except for, uh, what's his name, Khan with the... Jacksonville Jaguars, oh, but they're he's like he's not black though he's um like Middle Eastern or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, that's my my point. <laughs> yeah, um, but but yeah, I mean you look at that. I mean, th- no black owners. You look at like the number of black coaches in the NFL, NBA. Like they're more willing to recycle like white dudes that never played basketball than to give a, a shot at a black a black head coach. Somebody was talking about how like you think about this like how many black players have like dreadlocks and all that stuff. Um, and then you fast forward to how many like NFL coaches or basketball coaches have dreadlocks. None. Like it's just a thing that we have in our like brain. That's like, it's supposed to look like this. It's supposed to look like Rick Carlisle or whatever. Like it's supposed to look like Stan Bun Gundy or whatever. Like it's, that's what it's supposed to look like. Yeah. Um, and we just have that like, block in our brain or something like society i don't know i don't want to say we because i'd be all right with it but like i think it was randy moss was the first person in like the nfl hall of fame to like have like cornrows on on his bust like when when they gave him the he was the first person to have like cornrows on there he wasn't the first black guy to do it to wear cornrows he was just the first one that put cornrows on his bust like yeah that's fucking crazy like they were finally there as society that one one like cornrows are finally acceptable to be a hall of famer it's like we're we're that far behind i I just want people to realize like how far behind is this society we might think we're at a a level of like where we're like progressing like maybe the 90s were a thing where that gave us hope or whatever like early 2000s you talked about how it comes and goes and i completely disagree with that i think it's just it's always there we just kind of become like numb to it or like it doesn't become a, a topic of conversation until like 
somebody gives it a face and like a Trump comes along and, and like a Colin Kaepernick comes along and those two things happen back to back where like Kaepernick gave it here's what's going on police brutality has been very much a thing it's never gone away from it and yes I do think that media has like put it in our face over and over and I think that upsets conservatives that are like getting butthurt about it but even though I don't like the way it's approached the way it's presented it is true. It is there. It's very much a thing that we need to face as a society. Well, the big thing, too, is it's just like now that everybody has a camera, all this stuff can be documented. See, that's the big difference between, like, Tulsa, you know, 1921, where mm-hmm. it's just like, you know, they found a document. You know, somebody, you know, had, like, a diary, like a running diary of, you know, the events they were talking about. Now that's in the Smithsonian. Fast forward to 100 years now, like, everybody's got, you know, a cell phone, like, with they can make, uh, you know, 8k fucking video footage now like iphone 12 has that now so it's just like everybody has that capability to be able to document it and you see that you do see that a lot where it's just like people say like like you were saying like the reason why we're seeing more of it is because we're able to document Mm. it more we have more platforms to do it like you can go on i forget who it was like but she facebook lived it like where the police officer killed like her boyfriend like in the passenger seat yeah i remember that yeah that was on facebook live and if she didn't own a fucking smartphone and had the fucking facebook app like who knows like how that story would have got spun you know so two things Uh, i'm glad you bring that one up because we always talk about police officers being in like tough situations and like having trouble keeping their cool and if you watch that video the video particularly you just brought up not only does she keep her cool after she just watched her her the the father of her child as she as he's dying in front of her, she's still calling the police officer like, "Sir, you need to call an ambulance now." Like she's still keeping her cool during all this thing as she's watching her husband die or boyfriend die. I know it's definitely the father of her child die, and the child's in the back seat. Like this is an intense situation, and she's still keeping her cool and like. The police officer couldn't keep his cool because he was freaking out. The, the trained uh, public servant. Yeah, that's a, that's a whole different conversation. Yeah. But to go back to the whole thing of like generational wealth and what reparations would do, we look at what it's done for white people. Like I brought up the NFL. Uh, I'm a huge Chicago Bears fan. As you look at the the McCaskies, like Virginia McCaskey, and I mean this is not a shot at them. I think that they're decent people. But for the most part, their family's wealth has been built on owning the Chicago Bears. They didn't work for this. This is not something that they own. They didn't earn it. None of this is something that 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 like that belongs to them. They just were lucky to be born in that family that owned the football team from the 1920s when they were like the Chicago Stanleys, and it's like. <laughs> that eventually became like the empire that is the Chicago bears. And they got lucky. That's in a major city and a popular team. And like a lot of it is luck. And a lot of it is well, we like don't, the Steelers too. Yeah. The Steelers. Yeah, of course. And like the giants and things like that. Like those are family teams that are just the like Joneses with the Dallas. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, these they're ch- like Jerry Jones's son was his name. He does a lot of the football stuff. Like he didn't earn that. He didn't like educate himself and play and I'll do all this stuff. Like he just got lucky and he's there now. Um, we don't have that with like black owners. We don't have somebody that was like, "Oh yeah, my father was really." We just we're not there yet, and that's the reason that I when people bring up reparations, I'm like, "Yeah, that's a really good point. That would be step one to getting back to the point, getting back on track to that." I know that that's gonna hurt a lot of white people's feelings, and it's always people. like a, an assault, like on their taxes. But like when you really look at what your taxes are being, you know, spent on. 
like the state of Israel to arm armies that are fucking killing people. Yeah, isn't like your neighbor flying and an Israeli yeah. flying. Yeah, and I'm like, <laughs> I hope. I, like, yeah, I, I bet I, he can't even point Israel out in a map. I, I I challenge him to do. I'm waiting for that conversation. By the way, um, I love fucking with him. By the way, because he's such a numbskull. But um, yeah, it's just like if if. And that's why, like, I, I wouldn't have a problem with it because, like, if you really look at what your taxes are being spent on, like, if you really cared about the children, like, well, what about Palestinian children and shit? Like, like you would care about them being murdered with our do- with your tax dollars, basically. They got sent to a foreign country that could could afford to do all that on their own, but for some reason, like, they're the biggest welfare recipient, you know? If you're so concerned about, you know, overspending on welfare and food stamps and uh, unemployment or whatever, then, yeah, you, you would agree with us that we need to cut Israel off from the teat, like, kind of thing. And it's just, like, it's these weird fucking things where it just, like, it amounts to it's just, like, maybe there's just, like, like you said, like, there's just, like, that, that race, that racial thing just living like with inside somebody they don't want to see that them be on the same playing field i don't think that and dude honestly if you're you know remember that dave Chappelle skit where he like people black people got reparations i'm rich bitch. and he some guy bought like a giant truck of like cigarettes or something like that i think that there is that weird fear of that sketch becoming true or something like that but one of the things that you have to keep in mind is that reparations could be done super easily like it, it, it could be done super easily if you made it like if you're black and you know you were from this area like you you could apply for a, like uh, a small business loan that would be much larger than like what an average person would be like if you made it double like a form of reparations of something like that it could be something that could be done like pretty easily free education I mean, we we have a little bit of that. We the we have a little bit of that when it comes to like Native American people, which it's another like group of people that have like been fucked over and like destroyed by like <laughs> imperialism or whatever. But even people like I know people that have a problem with that. Like I'll just say that I'm part Cherokee, so I can get some of that free education. It's yeah. just like, no, yeah, that's a whole different. That's yeah, like, they people hate on that too. I'm like, you realize you fucking slaughtered them, like, like yeah. you know. But like this girl, I, I uh, had a class with. um always told me that she was like part native american she was like 10 percent native american she was like but it can't be proven because it was rape and i was like dang this is a pretty deep conversation for you to be talking about in class <laughs> like it was like in the middle of class like we, it was a photography class and we would be in the photo lab and she would just be talking about it and i'm like and the photo lab is like dark right you only have those like little red lights red over lights, you yeah and all i could hear was like my family got raped and i was like God damn it! I should start bringing headphones to this class. <laughs> <laughs> Listen to that new Deftones album. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that is the Tulsa race massacre. Uh, some call it the Tulsa race riots, uh, but it's important that you differentiate those two because, like I said, that's the reason why the insurance claims weren't able to be filed because if it was a riot, they would not be able to, um, you know, cover anything. But it was, in my opinion. Whenever, whenever you start fucking like fucking stealing airplanes to fucking drop fucking bombs on fucking communities, that's just a fucking massacre. This is that like if Fox News was around today, type or back then, it would be like this is just boys being boys, locker room talk. Yeah, this is. Well, they should have just been following the law. They're they're you know just shut up and dribble. Yeah, it's a lot of that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Blue lives matter, baby. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Art. So do you got anything else, my guy? 
Uh, no, shout out the usual Elizabeth Jackman, Elizabeth Warren. Uh, shout out Ben Diesel. Hope you're doing well. Hope you stay doing well. Please take some of those Flintstone chewable vitamins. I don't know what's going on with your health. Uh, Please sign do not up travel. for some life insurance. Do not travel. Stay home. Um, hope you're doing well. Hope, yeah. Shout out to that pink eye cult. Probably bring them up in another Patreon just because it's kind of interesting. We'll talk about it in like. When was it? September? Well, it'll come up again, I'm sure. July. He's he's July. Trump September, supposedly. Okay. So if you want to know what we're talking about right now, you want some inside baseball, basically. Uh, guys, head over to the Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash artjacobdoamerica. One dollar gets you a f- not a free. God damn it. I don't know why I keep wanting to say that. Uh, yeah, one dollar gets you an episode every single week. So a dollar a month. That's like 25 cents every week. You get a bonus episode where we get we'll get a little bit more loosey goosey where we jump into other topics like off the cuff and they get deep. They get funnier and it's it's, it's a good time. So shout out to everybody that's a patron over there. Head on over there. Uh, the higher the uh, the tiers you climb, the more shit that I send out. Uh, I just sent out a couple of um, envelopes again to some patrons who uh, they just signed up as well. So shout out to you. Uh, guys, make sure you follow us on all the social medias over at Art and Jacob Do America. Except for Twitter, we are Art and Jacob Do A One. Uh, Twitter, I'm not really active on there. Um, and you most, I just mostly just post like the, the episodes. But I did try to make an effort to like you know respond back to a few messages we had, uh, repost some El Yucateco things that were over there. That's need... the only place I, I appreciate you following me is on Twitter. Yeah, so maybe I'll just slide you the password and you can just handle the fucking the I, Twitter. I've been talking to Frankie Minas. How you doing? You, you gonna do Spy Kids three? <laughs> Not Spy Kids three. Agent Agent Cody, Cody Banks. Banks part three. Yeah. So speaking of Cody Banks, uh, make sure you if you wanna uh, get some of our merch, go to tpublic.com, where half of our um, our stuff is designed by the great and powerful Nicole Smith Bosch. He's probably watching this live right now. Uh, make sure you head on over to superapparel.com. Uh, where you can buy some badass merchandise over there. So she check out her store, support great local artists. Well, it's not local, but uh, great independent artists. Uh, it's not even the same country. No, it's not. Not even the same time zone, man. Uh, but support her. She's great. She's powerful. She's awesome. She supports 99% of the podcast on the Podbelly Network. Uh, so, guys, we are official members of the Podbelly Network. So if you like our podcast, head on over there. Uh, they got some other great podcasts, such as the RRBG podcast. My homeboy Eddie, he runs that podcast. Um, Nerds on Topic. Um, also, two Hillbilly Horror Stories, Paranormal Punchers. Anything that you're into, there's probably a podcast over there. So check them out. Um, but other than that, guys, I ain't got nothing else, man. That's it. Stay in school. Yes. Well, that's it, everybody. Have a good night. Don't be racist. One hundred years later, President Biden became the first commander-in-chief to visit Tulsa to honor the victims of the 1921 race massacre. For much too long, the history of what took place here was told in silence, cloaked in darkness. But just because history is silent, it doesn't mean that it did not take place. Only with truth can come healing and justice and repair. The president met privately with the three known remaining survivors, all centenarians, including 107-year-old Viola Fletcher, who still remembers the terror of the massacre. People running and screaming, and you could hear guns shooting, and hear airplanes flying over. 
100 years ago, a white mob killed an estimated 300 black Tulsa residents and burned down more than 30 blocks of black-owned homes and businesses in the Greenwood District. Hell was unleashed. Literal hell was unleashed. In the aftermath, no one was ever criminally charged, and insurance was never paid out to black residents for the damage. We do ourselves no favors by pretending none of this ever happened, or it doesn't impact us today because it does still impact us today. While in Tulsa, the president proposed new funding to increase home ownership among African Americans and to help minority small businesses and entrepreneurs. So just chill to the next episode.